Hello and welcome to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod, your authentic global voice for the pre-sales and buyer enablement world. And we have some fun along the way too. So thanks for joining us and don't forget to find out our top tips on today's topic at the end. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod and you're joined by myself, Adam Freeman and Mark Green. Hi, Mark. Hello, Adam, and hello, everybody. Great. And we've got Lydia Vasileva with us today. So, Lydia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks. And we're going to tackle a couple of big topics, actually, today, and one of which I'm a little bit embarrassed to say we haven't tackled until now, but you'll kind of understand why, because it's very hard as... Me and Mark been two males in pre-sales. It's quite hard to tackle the subject of what it's like to be um, a female in pre-sales. And it's something that we do want to tackle and we want to spend the time with Lydia exploring today and, in a way, educate ourselves as much as hopefully have an open conversation with you guys. So it's quite hard to find the right words um, to, to introduce this, this topic. But it's something that I really want us to tackle, and I know Mark does as well. And I think we've Very got to tackle as an industry. And... But I think before we do that, Lydia, and hopefully you're going to make that a kind conversation with us, right? Um, <laughs> I want to tackle what it's like to be a creative in pre-sales because your 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 background is creative. But before we go, you promised me you've got a great story for how you came across this podcast. I do, I do, and I really want to start with that because um, I mentioned it to Mark last week as well, when, or a couple of weeks yeah. back when we had a conversation. So. When I first joined Presell, so this was three years back now, uh, I was very lucky that when I was hired, I was hired alongside another uh, colleague of mine who she was. Inc she's incredibly bubbly. She not, unfortunately no longer works in my team. Um, incredibly bubbly. We got along like a house on fire, right? So obviously we decided that. Oh, brilliant, unique idea! Let's start a podcast where the two of us talk about anything and everything that we're learning along the way. And mind you, folks, we got very far. We had the website. We had the logo that I'm happy to share with the with with the guys and put it on the um, onto the notes for the show. Like we went so far, and my brilliant idea was two SCs in the pod. I'm like, man, what a unique idea! Nobody has ever thought about. You can imagine how pissed I was when I looked it up finally. Oh, I didn't <laughs> so, know that story. I you guys. did not know that story. I'm hearing that for the first time. And I wish you could see how far my jaw has dropped with that because <laughs> I thought we were so unique and so creative coming up with this title. I had the bigger problem that when we expanded our podcast host to include Mark and Tom, I was like, we can't be two pre-sales in a pod when there's four of us. But, you know, we tend to have two hosts. But that is an absolutely brilliant story. But you should, you should go and um and and redo that podcast because i think there's mileage in the topics that you're talking about there so very much so and i must say we've seen the uh, we've seen the logo and you've seen our logo and of course no offense to don and adam who started this podcast uh, our logo uh, it's quite cool nowhere near as cool as lydia's <laughs> so one day you're going to see something if not the same it, similar because that uh, being a creative in this industry you you well you're 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 more creative than me i tell you yeah. by the way when you start a comment with no offense it normally means there's going to be an offense to that comment but i won't <laughs> take with that because lydia's logo is so much better than mine anyway on to the topic because people be walking their dogs getting really angry that we're not they will. The topic. So, <laughs> yeah apologies apologies to, to, topic number one so lydia you you are 
the definition of a creative, right? And we've spoken about that. So do you want to talk a little bit about what, what what's top of mind? I, <laughs> I think so. I don't know. So I guess also a little bit of a of, of a background to to where I'm coming from because I don't want to for people to assume something about like what sort of role have I had before I came into freestyles. So currently, by day, I am a, a solutions engineer working for VMware. Uh, by night, I have newly started consulting um, actual resource organizations. Um, I'm trying to teach them the practicalities of how to make complex things and their messaging around products, uh, how to make it a little bit clearer and simpler for their customers to connect to. So I do these two things sort of side by side. I've technically never been professionally a creative. So I've never done any design. I don't have any education in it or anything. A lot of the things that I put out there and in the big bad world of the internet is in completely a hobby. But it's a hobby I have. So I've been trying thoroughly throughout my career, like technical career to just keep on jamming as much creativity as I can in it. <laughs> so I can actually utilize that. Because I don't, you know, and I don't want to offend anyone. As Mark was saying, no offense. But when I was growing up, my mom told me that being creative and you know being a painter, fantastic hobby not great for actually paying the bills so i this is my little rebellious way of adding that back into my life but yeah so with that context not really a creative but what i do try is as part of the, the role add in as much creativity as possible as i can and it shows right it really shows because um the way in which you um so if people don't know Lydia presented at Demo Fest, but the way that you presented that and your clarity message that you were talking about was really impactful. And I think it's because people were really captured visually by what you did. And also not just visuals, people think of creative as visuals, but creative as the way in which you think about a concept in your mind and then connect that with the way that people are hearing it. I think that that worked really, really well. So, yeah. But Lydia, if I can call it a topic, so you know, I'm a hiring manager, I, I hire into pre-sales. I don't think I've ever had someone sit in front of me and say, hey, I'm really great at creative things and I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. I don't think that's ever really happened. Do you, do you feel like it's a skill or a personal trait that, that you have? It, is it something that translates readily to pre-sales that we actually should be considering hiring for creative skills, right? Oh, that's a little bit of a loaded question because I don't want to exclude people who don't feel like they are creative. <laughs> I didn't so, set you up for success there. Sorry. No, no, you didn't really. <laughs> but let me let me try try to back paddle myself out of this a little bit. So first of all, I don't think creative means that you're good at painting, right? And I think Mark really nailed that on the head with it's also a mentality, it's a mindset. And I truly believe, and this might sound very, you know, airy fairy and hippie of me, everyone has the creative note in their body somewhere. Right. They can do something creative. It doesn't have to be traditionally creative in the sense painting, music, singing, whatever it is that you want to do. But every single person has something in them that allows them to, to make something creative. When it comes to hiring, I think that's a really difficult thing to measure, Adam. Like how, how creative is a person? But I think a lot of the things that we already do try to find in pre-sales folks is already there. Problem solving. Problem solving is very creative thinking outside of the box, right? They're very businessy buzzwords or like, you know, sentences, but in reality, that's really what we're looking for is that you give a, someone a problem and they try to look around the problem, you know, underneath, have a look at the side, have a look inside, right? Just looking at it from a different angle. 
Mm. We, and we do tend to go to recruiting for technical skills, right, in, in pre-sales. Pre- predominantly and historically, the pre-sales profession has, has lent towards an appreciation of technical skills. It's probably where I should have framed that question the first time, right? So do you, if I ask you a, another kind of part of this is, I would have said that I'm not naturally a very creative person um, in terms of the traditional arts and crafts of creatives, right? I cannot draw. My five-year-old can draw better than me. I'm awful, okay? Absolutely awful. But what I would say is I'm a creative thinker when it comes to innovation and and problem solving. So I completely get where you're coming from on that point. What kind of opportunities do you see for for professionals in pre-sales to really harness their creativity? Is it something that, you know, we've got the rise of consensus and things there? Where do you see the opportunities in your your line of work to really utilize that skill set? So definitely in the topic of demo automation, video creation, content creation, I think traditionally, and I'm saying this with a little bit of fear because I've been in the industry now three years, right? So I haven't been around the blog for too long, but my observation is that in the past, there's definitely been a focus on the technical skills, the technical knowledge, the understanding of the product set through and through being the expert on it. It feels like nowadays what pre-sales provide the biggest value back to an organization is with being that direct to potential prospects messaging, right? Video again, content creation, putting ourselves out there in a different way than we've ever had before. And no longer being the demo monkey of just coming in and like doing you know, doing the show and tell, the little song and dance routine, and then just hiding back into the corner, right? Which I think was used to be a very what was the expectation of a pre-sales person? I think that's shifting. I think that's shifting. And with that shift comes that highlight of any sort of creative ability to put a different messaging out there, to make yourself stand apart. And we talk about this quite a lot with the buyer enablement. So now a lot of our potential prospects come in, already have done 70% of the buying journey. They've done their yeah. research, they've gone through videos, they've gone through everything. So we're missing out if we as pre-sales talk only to them in that last bit of their journey. We need to be there from the get-go. The best part to do that is by putting ourselves out there. And I suppose in your in your industry particularly, which is, you know, it's a fairly intangible thing, right? What 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 you do pre-sales for. You have to be quite creative, I suppose, in articulating the why change why now, right? That that surely leads to you leveraging your creative abilities. Absolutely. So I cover networking security, right? So data center networking. And again, Mark and I had a had a long conversation around having a... (laughs) um, It is is extremely cool. But traditionally, and even internally, by the way, as a a business, as as a VMware, as a business, it is it has that idea of like, oh, networking is very difficult, very technical, and nobody wants to talk about it. So it does take a lot of sort of to stepping out of that mentality and look at it from a different way and be a little bit creative about it and imagining things talking to each other in a lot more uh, of, a, of a flowery, different way than what we usually do. Yeah, I think that must have been quite interesting. And I'd love to hear, hear your thoughts on um, when you joined VMware, you must have come into a group of people that were um, very much what we would call the stereotypical network engineer going plugging Packs panels, uh, configuring uh, um, switches and all the rest of it, that there's an image conjured in people's minds, right? And I think that you're breaking through a few of those. And I was wondering what you could what you'd say say about um, about that. 
all being a different image. Oh, definitely. Even when, so before I joined VMware, when I was a network engineer, it was even funnier because imagine walking into a data center and you're the only one wearing heels, right? <laughs> oh, might be difficult for you folks to imagine, but it was a very interesting experience to do. But it is, and it is scary. So and especially remember when I first joined in, there was a, and not to the fault of my team, right? Let me be very clear. And not to the fault of the leadership or anything. It felt like there was definitely a pressure to fit a specific mold, to be a specific level of professional, to be a specific level of, you know, the things you say, how exactly you position things, the sentences you use. I swear, and, I, and I think a lot of people have this experience of having like a little script that when you begin doing your demos and like you're talking through them and you have like a little script and all of that was just taken word by word from the mouth of my incredible colleagues that have been doing this for like 20 plus years, right? So I was very fortunate in that sense, but gosh, was that draining for someone like me who that is not my natural state. So it took a while to actually break out of my own little self-created shell of, oh, I need to fill this more. I need to become that pre-sales person that everyone thinks I should be. And in reality, to be this more creative-y, bubbly, you know, different person and be and be confident in front of customers and prospects to actually do those things. That's, it's a really good point you make. You've got, like, this episode, it's got me thinking, okay, already about how we talk because things like scripts and stuff are so such an interesting point of conversation. I've spoken to other pre-sales leaders about this topic. People buy from people, you know, and sometimes the best pre-sales people I know are like chameleons. They have this adaptability to blend in into an ultra-professional environment, a relaxed environment. They can mirror the person that's buying from them in a way that actually a lot of, I would say, weaker pre-sales people maybe, maybe can't. It is a skill set in its own right. And scripts kind of, to a point, go against that. They don't allow that flexibility and creativity. So maybe, you know, this, you, you just really got me thinking as you're talking, Lydia, about this and about something as simple as scripts, how it stifled that ability for you to be you. And therefore, you could have resonated to a client that you maybe you lost a deal on, right? If you otherwise couldn't have had that freedom to express. It's hard to put the guardrails in place, isn't it, without making it so transcribed. And I, 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 please take that as a compliment. You've really got me thinking about these topics in a, in a new way. So I hope people listening are as well. And if you are a leader listening to this, these are the kind of things we need to be thinking about as leaders, as uh, you know, as our as our as our craft changes. You know, and post COVID, I think you made a really good point earlier. Post COVID is a very very different world to pre COVID. I don't care what anyone says on this. And so a lot of people who've got twenty years experience, it's really seventeen years plus three. You know, because the world is so different now, and so that's a really good way of putting it. By the way, Adam, twenty plus three, because it's a different world now. Yeah, it's a very different world, and it's using a different skill set. So, I think these are really important points you raise, Lydia. I really do. Mm. I also want to challenge you, Adam, on something you said around. You both said that as people sell to people, but at the same time, there's a difference between a very professional environment and a more casual environment. I would challenge you that. So I work in public sector in the UK. It spans from being both very casual in some circumstances to both very professional in others. At the end of the day, even in those very professional circumstances, we really shouldn't feel that we need to fit a specific mold because at the end of the day, it's still people. Even if they wear a very nice suit and tie and very shiny shoes, they're still people. And if we are able to resonate with them in one way or another, and even more so, be memorable to them, that's mm. even better. Mm, I agree. I fully agree. Fully, fully agree. So 
progressing on a little bit, and we're going to tackle this issue, and I think it's important we tackle this and we talk about this. And it's something we spoke about before because, you know, you you have a voice in the LinkedIn community, and that's a wonderful thing that we all have an opportunity to have a voice. That's the great thing about work, you know, living and working in a democracy that we can tackle this and we can talk about these topics. And there are plenty of countries where we can't. So let's see that as a gift, right? What was it like coming through as a, someone new to pre-sales as a younger female talent stepping in what did it what did that feel like uh scary is definitely in one word uh i felt like i definitely oh especially in the beginning it's like god i made a mistake i don't belong here mm. <laughs> um it, it was it was definitely a journey and speaking of leadership having a good supportive leader who have brought you in and then continue to support you as you're going along trying to understand learning from you which also at the time for my then leader who actually brought me into VMware, for him it was also a new experience of bringing a young female talent in. He didn't, uh, to put it bluntly, he had no idea what to do with me. <laughs> yeah. So it was a joint learning experience for both of us and a, and a constant open communication channel of, okay, this is what I need from you as a leader, Lydia, to do. And then for me to turn around and say, okay, and this is what I believe right now I need to do better at my job and actually learn and, and get better at this. And I'm I'm continually challenging myself as a leader of people, and I feel very very privileged to be a leader. But I'm also very conscious that actually, in a modern corporate world, you know, I'm I'm probably not the ideal profile as well to to be. So I, I'm constantly challenging myself to be the best leader I can be. And part of that is, I can't pretend what it's like to walk a mile in someone else's. I I can't do that but I have my own things that I'm trying to wrestle with, right? Everyone does. I feel quite lucky. My wife works in technology, she's in sales, so I have an element of understanding. And I think it wasn't until things like we'd gone through, my wife being pregnant, that I understand well, what's the challenges of being, you know, the fact that she was tired and then having to have customer meetings and the fact that it gave a brain fog. And it was all these things that allowed me to understand and have a window into, right, I get it, because as a bloke, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that pressure of, going off on maternity leave and then fear of what am I coming back to, which is how a lot of females feel, right? And I think as I go through, we were talking about, you know, I was, um, I was talking to you about a, a leader I saw at a trade event and we made a comment on this and you said it's something we should tackle, right, Lydia? So I saw this leader kind of go around, shake hands and kind of man hug various males and got to a, a female in the industry and didn't really know do i shake hands do i hug do i kiss on the cheek like I, what do i do that and you you laughed didn't you and you said <laughs> i've got a feel on this so I'm, I'm i'm interested what's your perception on that yes and absolutely by the way it's perfectly fine and let me let me tell you adam it's perfectly fine to feel awkward and that you're outside of your depth talking about this right you i don't think it's fair also just for for female you know, employees, you know, people that you're bringing in or people you're working with to then also for them to expect that you can just read our minds, right? Mm. We are different. And that's what makes this, this collaboration between us beautiful. Yeah. So it, this have to, it has to be an understanding from both sides. But on the topic of, of the, the, the awkwardness about physical, you know, touching, yeah. first of all, I think as, as a general rule of, of there are different peoples, right? You and me, Adam, big huggers, right? We, we, yeah. love, we love a good hug. 
My mom, for example, hates hugging like other people outside of our family, like handshakes even are a big no-no for her. So absolutely end of the spectrum. I think first port of call is always be timid to start, like see what the other person, if they take a step back, obviously, please don't attack them and hug them. <laughs> uh, even though that's that's something that I have to tell myself, by the way, very often. <laughs> but so the way and it was actually came out from my network engineering uh, role, a lot of my colleagues, I was their first ever female colleague. So you can imagine that for these people, the first time they have a female colleague actually working with them in the data center, that was me. And in any other circumstance, a female would be a friend or it would be a family member, right? Someone that they're close to. So it's this dichotomy a little bit by, oh, we're professionals. I have no, they have no protocol practically of how to deal with this situation. They've yeah. never been taught. Yeah. I had to give them permission to actually say like, you can swear in front of me. I'm fine, right? It was that yeah. sort of environment. You can hug me if you want to hug me, like, you know, and when it, it feels adequate. Like, I'm more than happy to do that. But again, it has to be also from the female side of things to say like, uh, we're fine, we're good, we can we can do this. So <laughs> carry on. Well, yeah, I, it's a very interesting uh, and important perspective, and I'd and I'd love to hear hear what what happened in that scenario because when I was at my last company at Sage, there was a very not overactive, but just very very active training. Uh, direction for both leaders and managers. If you're a manager, you had to pass your management, your I can now be a manager course. And a lot of that was about understanding people and diversity and creating safe spaces and how to do the do the right thing. And I think there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who don't get that opportunity. But I think it could be their responsibility to go and find it if find it if it's not there. They have to go and learn how to do it right. Mm. Sometimes I don't I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm I think there's a generational thing involved possibly as well, right? But I think that's an easy comment to make. But I'd never realised, and we were talking off air. Which mm. fifty percent of my leadership team, my direct reports, a female met. That was not an intentional step. It wasn't like I went out and went. Right. Well, I've got three males. I need to hire three females. I, I never took that approach. I always hired in every situation the best person for the job. And I genuinely, in that interview process, I can hand on heart say, I didn't go into that seeing gender as a positive thing or something I had to even positively influence. Right. I just felt the freedom to choose the best person for the role. Was there a danger that that could have then ended up as six males or even six females? Yeah, I suppose there was. If I if I look back. And so if you're in my leadership team listening, you were there on merit, right? I just want to make that clear. But um, I'm really proud. And what has actually helped, and I, I don't mind sharing this, my we track something called EMPS, which is Employee Net Promoter Score for anyone who doesn't do it. It's like a, a happiness gauge. How happy are you here out of 10? My EMPS, since the leadership layer was more diverse, so if I go back about 18 months to two years, I saw an uptick and a, and I've maintained a plus 9.4 out of 10 or above for all of my team after that kind of more diverse leadership thing. So maybe I didn't see gender, but maybe the belonging that you referred to, Lydia, maybe that's what made people feel at home. And if I go down through my org, mm. I've got some phenomenally talented males and females in the team and i'm equally proud of everybody but i'm also really proud that we've made it a home where people can come and progress their careers 
irrespective of background. Maybe I'm not honestly thinking about it enough. Maybe it's a generational thing that I just think, well, why wouldn't a female feel at home here? And I, I don't know. Am I making sense with that, Lydia? You are making sense. And I, I want to just highlight something around the belonging, because belonging matters to different people in different ways. But what do we, we do need to really address head on is the fact, and uh, I have been getting flack in the past for saying this, we are different, right? male and female, different uh, characteristics, different personalities will di bring different things onto a role, right? It could be the same role, different people would approach it in a different way. Even having that diversity, even if the team itself or the individual contributors are of one or another type of people, having a diverse leadership allows them to make decisions that are going to be overall beneficial for everyone else. Yeah. So it's not even about having, you know, a, an equal measurement men and, and women. It's just about having also different backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. We were also mentioning on our, when we were talking off, off air around having a university background versus not having a university background, right? That also matters in that sense, yeah. about how people think about the people that are bringing it into the team, how they solve problems, how they approach problems from a management perspective. Mm. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, I, I heard it kind of very well, but I think it does matter sometimes, especially as you get into senior leadership. If two people are constantly agreeing on everything, one of them's probably unnecessary in the situation. And I think that's fair here that, you know, I've had males that see the world a very different way to me. I've had people who don't have children versus I have children that see the world a different way. And I like to think that diversity of opinion is actually what matters and seeing the world through a different lens, whatever that may be, even it could be a geographical divide, right? Doesn't matter, but seeing the world through a different lens allows me to make better decisions with a leader. Not always the right decision, because sometimes there is no right decision, but overall, I think the comment you made there, an overall more balanced and fair and equitable decision is actually what matters. It's interesting you said that, Adam, about um, hiring and hiring people that aren't just echoes of yourself. Mm. I made a really conscious decision hiring recently to, to whilst I'm sure I would be confident in doing the things in the way that I do them. What I actively tried to do was hire someone that was not just a copy of me because I wanted the additive effect of multiple perspectives and the additive effect of multiple ways of ways of being and people and ideas and histories and locations and and everything that ends up far more than just if there was 10 versions of me doing doing, doing the same thing and lydia if i can kind of move the conversation on a little bit because part of this we always love this to this podcast is all about giving back to the community we were talking about this off air and this is why we decided that we were actually going to tackle this kind of conversation which is actually really difficult right as me and mark and i are, are kind of you're doing so you know, well Met, it is it is a difficult topic because we want to be respectful of the topic and we want to create the change. That's why we do this podcast, to create the legacy of change that we want to see in the industry. Is. And this is change that we desperately want to see in the industry and done in the right way, not just hiring for diversity because that, that's not the right way of doing this, I, I don't think. So if I move on to that then, how do you make sure as a 
maybe if we talk to a female that's new in this, or maybe a female that feels isolated in the team, what resources have you seen out there or experienced that maybe have, have helped you? Are there any? Is it something that we need more of? Yeah, no, absolutely. So first of all, I do want to say I really appreciate you guys for trying. I know it's very, I can, I can feel it, right? And not just YouTube, right? It's not just YouTube, but anytime this conversation is brought up, because obviously me walking into the room usually brings this conversation yeah. to people's, uh, you know, it's top of mind. Um, so you're doing really well and I really appreciate you guys for doing that. Let's start with that. And and thank you. Thank you for actually mentioning it and having and for us to have this conversation. But around actually making so first of all, let, let me let me dissect the question a little bit. So there's a couple of things here, right? It's about how do we bring new people in, fresh blood, practically into pre-sales? Yeah. And then how do we keep people? Because in reality, and the colleague that I mentioned at the beginning with the podcast, that is what happened. We we were just unable to keep her in the pre-sales community. Oh, so we failed her technically from that perspective. Um, so let me tackle the first one of, of getting people in. I, for, I think first of all, exposure, right? So exposure of people like myself, and it's one of the reasons I'm also so vocal and so out there and constantly apologies if I'm you know spamming people's LinkedIn uh, uh, walls. But Spam away, please, Lydia, it's ace. <laughs> <laughs> but I genuinely think People will, if, you know, if you see someone that looks more like you or is of a single, yeah. of, of a certain age group, you know, below 30, so I'm, I'm, I'm 27. Uh, if you are, you know, seeing someone who is more like you, doesn't have the university background, doesn't have an academic, doesn't have, hasn't gone through a graduate program to get here, has gone through a more untraditional background. I'm even seeing folks that come from education. I see people coming from non-technical backgrounds. I myself coming from a technical background as well. Right. I didn't know pre-sales was an option to me yeah. until I actually got approached by VMware. Right. So we're missing the trick there by being more vocal about what it is this role and what we can do, like who who belongs in this role. Right. My perception was I need to be like 20 years further into my career. I need to know everything through and through to be able right. to even do a piece of what pre-sales is. I was completely wrong and I'm happy that I was wrong, but that's the impression that I had coming from a technical field. So that's the first thing I really think that we need, we need to be, be out there more and talk to specific groups more about this. Like you can do this too. It's not just for this specific group of background people, et cetera. Um, but and it is still hard. So let me be very clear. This messaging is incredibly hard because first of all, we as a priest, it's a fairly young role, right? It's a very young, mm. like, there's, there's always been the technical expert in the room whenever it comes to sales, but the way we have been positioning it now with buyer enablement, with all the wonderful work the consensus are doing, demo fest, this is all so new. We're still just getting through to people. What is it that our roles actually are? So, you know, with kindness, we need to do more work and there's definitely work to get done to actually put ourselves out there just to say what the role actually is and what does it actually do. From... Getting people in and, and, you know, talking to you, Adam, especially as a, as a leader, hiring people into, into the pre-sales organizations like that. And I, I'm pretty sure as part of your training, you've seen this, but it's so jarring when you think about how differently people think. Mm. There was a statistic around that women wouldn't apply to job roles because we were talking specifically about job specs uh, offline. The, they wouldn't apply unless they cover 90% of the job specs that is on the list of just required skills, men would apply between 40 and 50%. Wow. So even just that you're missing that wow. big gap of people that just don't have the confidence because they don't think they're enough. And again, this is a very specific, it's a very generic and generalized yeah. problem, 
but it is a proven there there are papers around it to actually talk about this yes and just on that before you move on i found it really fascinating diving into the way in which people write job specs and accidentally bias towards there being only male applicants because it includes certain words like driven um you know hard worker because and you'd think of course women can be driven and hard workers as well we all know this but the reality of the psychology like you're saying when people look look through that um you just don't get the clicks you don't get the applications and so by mm. this is why recruiting why recruitment is you do need a good recruitment a good recruiter will understand how to write a job applicate a job spec in a way that does make it open to the way in which people perceive it even if we're better at writing them at the start mm. absolutely and even how you articulate benefits right as well i mean i know a lot of companies are kind of reimagining their paternity and maternity policies around this and a lot of good conversations come out of um tech generally having a better um you know a better level of diversity and i i think it's brilliant i mean i like i say i probably like yourself lydia i'm, I'm younger in the pre-sales profession and definitely younger in the the leadership um communities that that i go to and i, I do think sometimes do i really think differently or do i just am i able to frame it differently because i've grown up in a time where you know this has always been different right and i think the generation after us will see the world a different way as well and i think that's a brilliant thing um some of the best talent i know in sales it is female you know but i wouldn't say that that's exclusive it's just that's how it is and we spoke previously didn't we, about if you wanted to know, you know you want to go into technical sales would you actually feel less friction going into a, a quota carrying sales role or going into a technical pre-sales role because a lot of people do have that decision to make at some point in their career right and there is definitely i believe there's more diversity in sales roles quota carrying roles than there is in technical roles i don't know if you'd agree with that but maybe that's something we need to address as well i think that's also a fairly new and again i might be biased because coming in from networking i've also seen a lot less female salespeople in that field a very i would say a very right. tech heavy world right yeah. i think it's more common to see them in this more software driven world right where we have yeah. like SaaS. it's easier for people to get it or i wouldn't say it's easier there is the perception that the technology is more easy for them to perceive because a lot of women unfortunately are being taught from a young age tech is not for you in one way or another we were also talking offline around you know the the perception just from from schooling right from kindergarten like how do people by accident create these biases in people's own perception of themselves so i never thought of myself as very technical right what I, what drew me to networking in in a complete contrast was the fact that somebody at when i first started said the right sentence to me that resonated which is oh networking it's just machines talking to each other and communications and human relationship and human skills is again very gen i'm generalizing quite a lot it tends to be a fairly strong female characteristic we are a lot better at reading people's emotions we're a lot better you know in general again just saying <laughs> there's obviously exceptions to the rule but we're a lot better at those type of skills and if in your job spec or in the way you're describing the role that is not highlighted and you you and i both know communications is so key to the pre-sales oh. role we sell and buy from people 
right? So mm. it's so key. And yet we don't really highlight it as much as, oh, we need to be very good with the technical side of things, which we do, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not undermining that. But that can, one, explain why you're seeing far more female representation in sales rather than a more, what was perceived like the more technical side, which is pre-sales. But again, I think it's mostly a perception from that perspective because it really yeah. isn't. And that's, I think the pandemic will actually turn out to be a really good thing for the next generation because, you know, a lot of parents were at home working and kids, boys, girls, both saw mom, dad, whoever working at home, maybe that it would have been in the office. So I think there'll be a generation that comes through that understands. I mean, my little boy's five. He quite clearly understands what I do day to day now. That wouldn't have happened if I wasn't working at home as much. He wouldn't understand how oh, you show software and you do this. So he's naturally inquisitive and in asking questions. And, you know, my two-year-old little girl, she has one of those kind of play laptops and quite enjoys using it. So they mimic what they see at home. And I do think there's a generation going to come through that have, will mimic whatever we were doing as people listen to this show during those years, those formative years, while we were all locked in our houses and subsequently, right? Because the work-life balance has got so much better, I think, after COVID. We're, we're so much more human as a profession than we were before COVID. And I think that's something we should never lose. But I'm just conscious of time and we're wrapping up because I think we could talk about this all day. I feel I feel like we're into our stride with this topic, which is yeah. a shame that like we're kind is, of ending. I think um, this, this might be the uh, the first of many episodes. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and again, this is a bit of a call out to the community, right, is we, we do this now and again. But if you feel you've got a really good view on these kind of topics and you feel there's difficult topics we need to tackle as, as an industry, not just this one, come on the show, reach out to me or Mark or Don or Tom or whoever, come on the show or if you were absolutely what it's like on the show and hopefully you will if series we create quite a safe space to talk about this stuff right lydia you do you really do and and they haven't paid me to say this no no so um, i'm sorry any, we stole we your podcast title, you? yeah we just steal people's podcast titles so mark as we kind of come to the end any kind of actionable insights you'd say out of today's show it's quite a hard one to probably create them so i'm going to let you go first now no, well that's very kind no it, it's, almost <laughs> like I, it's almost like i was thinking about it beforehand so for me there's two things that i think people should should take away um one is um don't wait to get it wrong right uh -huh. so go go and be proactive about some th some of these things um there is training everywhere it's free on youtube you get LinkedIn learning. Um, I, I don't care, but you can be better prepared for things like this. And you should be because get with the program, right? Um, and, and, and I think one of the things that you can be active about doing as a first thing, the first step is to go and make it more available. Um, help people understand that you don't need to wait 20 years uh, before you become a pre-sales person. You can come into this with no knowledge about the software itself, but you've just got a great way to connect. You know, it's just people talking to people, just like computers talking to computers, you know. It, um, so I would say learn how to do it and get the message out there because that's a great way that we're going to start bringing more people in um, and give them the confidence to do so, whomever they may be. And Lydia, any kind of actual takeaways you give for anyone? Because I'm sure a lot of people listen and will be really proud of how you've articulated some of these 
subjects in a way that I've actually not read them be articulated in quite this way. So I will I would thank you for that. But is there any kind of call to action you could give the community on all sides of the conversation? Thank you so much, Adam. You're so kind. I, I got myself so flustered now that I forgot everything I was going to say. <laughs> no, if if I leave people with one thing, and I know I keep on repeating myself like a broken record, but honestly, it's not rocket surgery, right? We don't need to make this very complex. Talk to people, empower people. And when I say empower, I don't mean in the very businessy buzz way of like, you know, oh, we empower everyone. It's like, no, allow them to talk and actually have the open space to tell you about things that are concerning them. And I'm not talking only about females, right? I'm talking any minority, anyone that is not you. Find the person that is the most different from you and just talk to them and let them know that you are there to actually help them, not just to have a tick in the box diversity quota met for you to carry on and doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think the one the one thing that sticks in my mind, I, I do my kind of call out a little bit. It's a little bit of a rallying cry today, actually. I'm going to be very candid with my thoughts here. If you're in a team that's pretty much male or non-minority representative okay imagine you've been successful well you've done that with only half of your possible potential you've been successful with only half the possible inputs you could have had imagine what you could do if you had a hundred percent representation right imagine the wonderful things you could do so my call to leaders is to create these safe spaces have conversations like you know, like we're trying to do here, right? Be curious, be annoyingly curious and go, what can we do to make this a really great place that whatever your background, whatever your opinions, whatever your um, persuasions, you feel at home here. And there's so many different diverse groups that deserve so much more representation. What can I do to give people that sense of belonging? And also, Lily, one of the things I'm going to do is go and ask people, what does belonging mean to you? Right? What does it feel like to belong here? And therefore, how can you thrive here? I've always said to people in my team, I want the best years of their career when they sit in their rocking chair and they hang up their clicker and their mouse. Right, I want them to look back and go, the best years of my career were here. What can I do to make that a reality? So I'm going to take my own advice here and I'm going to go talk to my team about how I can make that even better. But I just honestly, I want to thank you for making it. And I'm sure you can listen to this. I'm sure you can hear the kind of, because we do not script this show. I think people don't believe that, right? And you can back us up with it. We don't script this. We come up with a few bullet points for controlling the conversation flow. And this was the one that I felt most nervous about because we didn't have, so easy to say the wrong thing, isn't it? And alienate people. So if you're listening, I hope we haven't done that. I hope we've done respect to the topic. Um, but again, if you feel passionate about this, come join us like Lydia did. But I just want to, Thank you so much. And you, Mark, right? Because I know it's there's a level of uncomfort for both of us, but I think it's important we do this. Lydia, thank you so much for helping us tackle this episode in such a positive way. Thank you for listening. I hope you found it useful. Um, and we'll be back very soon with some more thorny subjects because I quite like Indeed, it now. Indeed, the thorny <laughs> podcast. <laughs> thank you both. Take thank care. You. Bye. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. We'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn.